0: Good morning, church. Good morning, I'm, uh, I'm actually feeling pretty small right now. I'm feeling rather small right now after worshiping our God like we have this morning. Um, so thank you, Dawn and, and Dan. Um, I'll stand close to this. One. I'm uh, feeling rather small right now after worshiping our God like we have. Um, so it's been a blessing already. Um, and as we look toward the scripture, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8 today. So if you would open up your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. If you're using up a the few Bibles, we're going to be on page 148. So it's page 148. And just one short announcement really quick. If you make your way out these doors on my right, your left, after the service, uh, there's a tree just to the left of the elevator. If you would take a leaf off of there, there are some, uh, some opportunities for you to be able to donate some food for a Vacation Bible School in two weeks. So if you would take one of those today or next Sunday, and make sure you have that back by August 2nd, that would be a great deal. Uh, The way that you could possibly even serve the church and our children, um, even if you can't be here, to actually serve that week. So pray with me. God, we thank you for today. We do want to echo the words of Scripture and even the words that we've sung, Holy, Holy is our Lord. There's no other name worthy of all praise than you. And so as we look at your word even now, I ask that that you would show us who you are. And that as we see you through your word, that we would respond rightly. We would respond as John's read already in love. teach us. We thank you for Christ's death and his resurrection. That's in his name we pray, amen. So today, before I read the scripture, we're going to be looking at obedience, not usually a popular topic, unless you're a parent talking to your children. Um, (laughs) But there's usually three typical responses when we're talking about our obedience. There's one of rebellion. There's one of pushing against rules and instructions. And I think it's captured well by the British author, Christopher North, when he said laws were meant to be broken. Right? That's, that's kind of the, the anthem of the rebellious. Laws were meant to be broken. You've given these to me so that I can break them. Then there's another response, I think. There's more of the legalist response. And that is, okay, I receive your rules, and I receive your laws, and I'm gonna keep them, and I'm actually gonna keep them better than anyone else. And the legalist also looks down on someone who doesn't follow rules as well as they do. And I would probably put myself in that camp. Just if if I'm being very honest, uh, a very trite way I think it shows up is if you come to my house or we play board games together, I'm going to make sure that we cover the rules before we start. And it's because I don't play for fun, I play to win, and I want to make sure that when we play we're following the same rules, and hopefully I know the rules better than you do so I can beat you at the game. But then there's another response, I think There's one of despair When we feel like there's so many rules That it's impossible for us to keep them all So there's the response of the rebellious heart The legalist heart And then the one who just cries out for help Because there's no way I can absolutely do all of these And I think if we're honest, at times in our life There's little bits of each one of those in us And especially you see this when you get three generations of one family together. You see the kids groan in rebellion when they're given instruction, and the parents demand obedience. But then the grandparents, they hear the grandkids whine and grumble, and they crumble. And they say, oh, you're so harsh. Can't they just have dessert just before they go to bed? It'll be okay. It's not going to hurt them. And so we come to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And chapter 4, I think, would be a good summary for the whole book in general. And even the verses that we're going to look at 1 through 8, I think, summarize this chapter well. Where Moses is preparing the people of Israel before they get into the promised land. And he's just been told just a few verses and chapters earlier, he's not going to enter with them. And so these are... The, the whole book of Deuteronomy, we see a series of speeches where he's preparing the people. As they get ready to enter the land, he's not going to go with them. So it's like a grandfather imparting wisdom to his kids or to his grandkids. And this is what we hear, the wisdom of an older man speaking to a younger generation. And he calls them to obey the one true God. He calls them to not forsake him. They've been through a lot of tribulation already, right? They've spent 40 years in the wilderness preparing to enter the promised land. So continue on. Even when things get easy, right, or easier, they've got this great hope of entering the promised land. Moses is telling them, do not forsake your God. When he gives you the land he's promised to you. And so read with me now Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed From among you, all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all the statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what a great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him. And what great nation is there that that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. And hopefully it sounds fairly familiar what Moses is telling the people. He's giving them the first commandment. He's reminding them don't forsake the Lord your God. Don't put any other things before him. He keeps reminding them this because he knows he spent time with the Lord. He is one of the few people that the Lord spoke mouth to mouth with, face to face with. And he's telling these people when you take this land, don't forsake. Your God. When things go well with you, don't leave Him. Don't turn to the other gods and forsake Him. And these statutes and decrees that Moses speaks of, I think from the text, even later on in the passage, verses 13 and 14, he's really talking about the Ten Commandments and then also what Moses continues to teach them throughout all the first five books of the the, the Old Testament. So, Moses is telling them, don't forsake the Ten Commandments, what the Lord has given to us, and don't forsake the teachings that I've given to you directly from God Himself. And God would bless you. He will bless you with life in this promised land. And so, we see here, we see Moses calling the people to the good life, he's calling them to obedience to God. So obedience to God and the good life go hand in hand. But what is this good life? It's not everything's going to be perfect for you when you enter the land. No matter what you do, I'm not going to give you perfect peace and perfect rest. We even know in Hebrews chapter 4 that it talks about even though Joshua t- took them into the land, they still didn't have rest. Because their rest was to be a God himself. Not just the land that they were going to take. Not the land filled with milk and honey. Their rest was in God. So obey Him that you might have the good life is what Moses is telling them. Obey Him. And you hear this. Listen to the statutes, verse 1. And the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live. And then again in verse 4. But I tell you, but you who held fast to the Lord, your God, are all alive today. And just before that, in verse 3, Moses reminds them of what happened in Peor. The people of Israel are in the wilderness. They get to this area called Peor. And they start pouring after other gods. The Baal there. They unite themselves to another god. And what happens? God sends a plague. 24,000 people are killed by a plague. And Moses reminds them of that. He says, remember the past. Because it will repeat itself in the future if you forsake your God. So hold fast to Him. He's your God. He's the one who created you. He's made you. He's been faithful to you from the beginning. Don't stray from Him after other gods. Continue obeying Him. Don't go after anything else. Any wealth, any riches, any gold, any other gods. And we see this with a husband and wife relationship, right? It's not all about the ooey-gooey, feely love. But it's about covenant faithfulness between a husband and his wife. That's exhibited through loving care, nurture, and shepherding. But it's also exhibited through the faithfulness of the of husband to one wife. Not to others. And that's what Moses is calling the people to here. He says, love The Lord, your God, obey him, be faithful to him. Don't forsake him, even though there may be other things that vie for your attention and your affections. And listen to the words of King David hundreds of years later from Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. How much better can it get? No matter what goes on in life, if I am with God, there are pleasures forevermore at His right hand. There's the fullness of joy because I have that great treasure in the field that I gave everything for. That I might have the greatest treasure this world could ever offer me. And that's God Himself. Don't forsake Him. This is, He is where life is found. And the call is to come to Jesus. He doesn't just offer a decent life. He offers life. Without Him, you're dead in your trespasses, right? Ephesians chapter 2. You are dead in your sins. Come to Christ and you will have life. And we don't come to Him just because we're looking for a pragmatic religion that gives us something gives us a pleasant life, right? If I'm going to something else just because it's going to give me something good, then who's my God? It's actually me. If I'm going to something else to serve me, to give me what I want, then that thing is not really my God. I'm my own God. So Moses is telling the people, Follow God, love Him, see what He has done for you. Love Him and obey Him. But then there's the opposite side of that. And Moses tells them in verse uh, verse 2, he says, Don't add or subtract rules from what's given to you by God Himself. Right? If I relax or I take away a few commands... If I'm seeing God's word to me as good and he's given me things to follow, then if I take some of those away to make it a little easier to abide by the rules, then I'm really serving myself. I put myself as my God again. I'm relaxing the commands of God that I might seek pleasure in a way that's really not good for me. But then don't even add to these either. Right? That's the legalist. He adds things to life, he adds things to following God, because he thinks he can attain godliness by adding things. I'm not going to do these things, or I'm not going to do these things, or I'm not going to associate with these certain types of people, because somebody else might look at me and think, what are they doing? They're in sin. They're not following God. And so you can't take away rules, and you can't add rules. Follow your God. Love Him. And I think if we... Well, I've never heard anybody on their deathbed say, I obeyed God too much. But I have heard many stories where people have said, I follow God no matter what it costs me. I've laid aside my desires and my affections... And some things unexpected came up in my life. And even through those times, I see the hand of God, the provision of God. As they walked with Him faithfully, and they trusted, despite what's going on in life, I'm going to worship the one true God. Have you ever tasted the goodness of God in obedience that produces Joy as you obey him. So even with that, I think Moses and and even the New Testament writers would call us to stop sinning. And it's not just a moralistic stop sinning right now and be good. We're not washing ourselves up on the outside with still a rotten, decaying death on the inside. We don't obey because... We're afraid we might lose our relationship with God, but we seek purity and holiness. We stop going after the filth and the foolishness of this world because of how we were brought into relationship with God. Listen to this, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Some translations might even say compels us. It motivates us. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so Paul's telling us, in 2 Corinthians, Moses is telling us, in Deuteronomy, stop sinning. Not because you can do it yourself, but let the love of Christ control you because of what he's done for you. This is good news. Christ has died. He's given himself, but it doesn't end there. He has risen from the grave that you might have life. And even a non-Christian if you're here and you're, you're even questioning, I'm not sure about all this. These guys really seem passionate when they sing and they worship God. And they even believe this word is my prayer, as I've been preparing this week, that you would see the goodness of our God too. That he took the punishment that you deserve because of your rebellion against him. But he doesn't just stay dead. Christ has also risen that you might have life in him, that you might be created new in him. In Christ, you have life that provides far more pleasure and satisfaction than you could ever hope to have apart from him. And so for the believer and the unbeliever here today, the call is for us to believe God, trust him, and obey him. And see the glorious truth of the cross, that we would hate our sin, that required the death of Christ, but he willingly gave his life for us. And listen to this, uh, John in his gospel, he links love, obedience, and joy, which you've heard as John read the scriptures earlier today. But this is coming from chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. It says, This is Christ speaking. He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So the writer there is giving us this link. Love God. Obey God. Experience the fullness of joy in God. And it's not just happening one time. We hear it in Deuteronomy 4 from Moses. Obey Him. Don't forsake Him that you may have life. We hear it from David in Psalm 1611. In the presence of God is the fullness of joy. We hear it from the writer of John. Quoting the words of Christ. Love me. Obey me. Be filled, experience joy in me that comes from no other place. An inexpressible joy. So obedience to God and the good life, they go hand in hand. But it doesn't stop there. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, that Moses is telling the people they should obey God for the good of the nations. So Moses wants them to obey God for the good of the nations. Read with me in verse 6. Moses is referring to the statutes and the commands. Again, the Ten Commandments and his teachings. He says, Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it, As the Lord our God is to us whenever we call on him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I have set before you today. So Moses is telling the people, Israel, he says, obey God that you might live in this land and that the nations might look at you. And when they see your obedience to God, they might say, look at these people Look at the wisdom they have. Look at the understanding they have. And it doesn't come because they are so wise. But it says it comes because of their God and the statutes that he gives them. The law of God is the wisdom of his people. And they would be seen as wise as they obey him. And so this also causes the other nations to look at Israel as they obey him. And they compare their gods to the God of Israel. And they see there's something unique about this God. There's something unique and different about the way these people live and the way that they obey. And Christopher Wright, he says this, Obedience to the law was not Israel's, not for Israel's benefit alone. It is a marked feature of the Old Testament that Israel lived on a very public stage. So Israel was living before their God. They they were meant to be obeying Him. And the other nations would see them. And this isn't new to Deuteronomy here. You actually see this in Exodus. After the Lord brings the people out of Egypt. And Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. God gives him the Ten Commandments. When he comes down from the mountain, in verse 32, he says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he wanted to wipe them from the face of the earth. And Moses pleads before God, and he says this, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent he he did this to bring them out, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? So even all the way back in Exodus, Moses knows God's people are on display. People are watching the greatest nation at that time is watching even God's people, the smallest nation, at that time. God's people, God's relationship with His people is on display through His covenant faithfulness with them and their obe- obedience to Him. And so this obedience that Israel was supposed to follow in would gain the attention of the nations, causing others to assess their own God. And this is happening all over the world, even today. Christians standing up for their faith, Whether it's here, as we stand for truth, we stand on truth, and we point people to Christ, or across the globe as Christians undergo persecution, as they take a stand for Christ, as they faithfully follow Him, even at gunpoint, they say, I will not turn my back on my God. They've accepted the truth that I think would be good for us to hear again today. That is, I will gladly accept the plundering of my property and the taking of my life in exchange for true life that comes through Christ. And even as Israel was to be displaying God to the nations, exhibiting His wisdom to His people, we see in Ephesians chapter 3 the same thing for the church today. In Ephesians 3.10, that the church is the manifold wisdom of God. That he's displaying himself to the nations, to Western Loudon County, through us in Eagle Butte, in other areas, and across the globe. God is, is displaying his manifold wisdom through us, through you, but also through his church, his global church. God seeks to display his wisdom He does this as his church pursues purity in him, seeks to obey him. And we see something else in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 and then 25 and 26, and it says this. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So Paul's telling Timothy here. Put off youthful passions. Put off sin. And then pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue your God. And then we see a result of that in verses 25 and 26. Paul says this to Timothy. God may perhaps grant them repentance. Leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so just like Israel was to obey their God out of a joyful, loving obedience and be on display for the nations, you and I today are called to put off youthful passions, to pursue Christ, not just for our own good, although it is for our good, But also that others may see that God might grant them repentance through your obedience. And God is snatching people from the devil who are captured by his will. When he reveals the truth of himself through you and your obedience. And also through your mouth, through speaking. And so even today, I've actually challenged the youth at the beginning of the summer. I told them, this summer, I want to I challenge you guys to share the gospel just twice. It sounds like a kind of a low number. Twice in about two months. But I fear if we don't maybe set some good goals... I think that's a good and noble goal. Again, I don't want to be a legalist about it. But I think that is a good goal. Can I share my faith or have a gospel conversation with someone just twice this summer? The first time's probably not going to go so well. It's okay. And in fact, have the freedom to butcher the conversation. Because then if you butcher it bad enough, there's a second conversation. Hey man, when we were talking last time, there are a few things that I just left out. That I think are really important. I would love to talk with you about them. It's okay to be honest and, and not be afraid and just bring it up. Hey, I was I didn't have everything right. I didn't have all your answers last time we talked, but I really consider what we talked about, and I would love to continue that conversation. So I want to challenge you are there even two people in your life? A co worker that you can sit down and have lunch with, or a neighbor. That after you get home from work and your kids are playing together that you can have a conversation with. Where you're continually finding ways. How can I bridge to the gospel? How can I point my neighbor or my co-worker to Christ? God reveals himself to this world through us. Through the manifold wisdom of his church as we live lives that are obedient to Him, but then also as we proclaim Him with our mouths. And so let us obey Him for our good, but also for the good of the nations, for the good of our neighbor, for the good of our co-worker. And I think too often we look with a very critical eye to people in the Bible where we think, how can they be so foolish? How can they continually, time after time, turn their back on God, right? Just take, for instance, Israel. I think there's a reason why Moses in Deuteronomy chapter four is reminding them again. Don't forsake your God because over and over and over, they turn away from him, they fall into sin, God rebukes them by sending punishment or allowing their neighbors to overtake them. And then they cry out to Him and He comes to their rescue. And we see this, right? We see it over and over and over and over and over again. But in the same way, we do very similar things to our God. We trivialize sin sometimes. We, we often obey the things that we see are beneficial for us, that are good for us, right? We don't murder. Typically, we don't steal. One, because we, we think they're bad, but also we don't do them because we don't, others, we don't want others to do them to us. And sometimes, if the legalist in you pops out, you obey the speed limit. It's difficult. It's hard for me. And even when you obey the speed limit there, you make exceptions for it, right? You say, oh, I've got a doctor's appointment. I've got to get my kids to, to the appointment. Five over is not too bad. Ten over is not too bad. Or maybe even this morning you were late to church. So you justify, I need to get to church. It's a good thing. I want to be on time. That's a good thing. And then We speed. It's easy for us to trivialize things, but even deeper than that, we see a heart that's in rebellion to God or takes his commands when we become a legalist or we see his ways where he says, love me, obey me, and follow me. Die to yourself. Forsake all things and follow me. And we cry out in despair, there's no way I can do this. And even, I think the words of Arthur Leth capture this well. He says, What we want is simultaneously to be perfectly ruled and perfectly free. We want to be perfectly ruled and at the same time be perfectly free. We see the good, the benefits of having a government that looks out for its people. That helps to invoke justice for its people. But then there are times when we want to be free. I don't want to obey the speed limit. And other things. I want you to stop at the red light when mine's green. But God's ways... Are perfect. We have this perfect ruler that also offers perfect freedom. And so often we see God's ways as offering restrictions and rules and condemnation, but if we truly see him as this perfect ruler who is looking out for my good and your good, then they're not bad. They're not restrictive. They're meant for your freedom. He offers freedom from sin. The Bible teaches that all people have been slaves. Black, white, Asian, Hispanic. All people have been slaves unless you've been set free from your sin in Christ. And so the call is, will you obey this perfect ruler who offers perfect freedom In Christ. And I hope that the answer is yes. And as we obey this perfect ruler, others will see a joy filled life. Others will see the nearness of God. And they're either going to have one of two responses they're going to be repelled by us, because, like 2 Corinthians 5 says, we're going to be either the aroma of death to them or. We're going to be the aroma of life, drawing them to God through our obedience, through our joy-filled obedience, and through the speaking, the declaring of him with our mouths. And so for everybody today, the call is, will you joyfully obey? If you're in Christ, will you continually, joyfully obey and see Him as your good, perfect ruler, offering perfect freedom to you in Him? And if you don't know Him yet, I pray that you've seen the goodness of Him through our song and through the Word and that you would respond to Him crying out, I can't do this. Just like the, the, the response of There's no way I can follow these rules. I have no hope because you don't. Your only hope is in the forgiveness, the death and the resurrection of Christ. And so if you have any questions about that today, after our service is over, I would love to speak with you. I'll be down here around front with my family. You can pull me aside. I would love to speak more with you about what it is to have life in Christ. So pray with me. God, we thank you for your goodness. And I pray that we would all today see with fresh eyes the goodness that you offer. And that is yourself. You offer us life and you and I pray that as we go out the rest of this week, that we would be your people. That we would be the aroma of life that you use to draw others to you. I'm in your son's name, I pray. Amen. Let's please stand as we join in singing.